Amen. Lord, Daryl, what's your praise? September the 1st marked the 14 year anniversary for my shop. Okay. That the Lord praise gave God. me. That the Lord gave me for one dollar. Wow. One dollar. Uh, you got to beware of those things. You ever, you ever had a free kitten? Amen. That's awesome, man. Fourteen years. Is that what you said? Fourteen. Okay. Cool. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, it rained. It did. It did. Uh, it it rained a lot, but the ground still wants more. <laughs> It soaked in the right away, but my praise is that all the fire ants have left the interior of the house nice. and gone outside to play in the rain. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole lot of things they go after. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the drought, apparently, they go after water. The ants are gone. That's the praise. And they have been a, a big time nuisance. Who else? Glenn? I kind of have a revelation, but more than kind of a thought. But I was just thinking about on my way here. Remember how I used to come as a family, and I was you were wanting us to do those Bible truth studies, and I was thinking, well, the preacher man's probably just going to try to talk me in and send give me ten percent of my salary for the church. <laughs> but now that I've seen the light, it's a whole different outlook. We actually only try to teach Bible classes to people that want it, that want them. We will offer them, but if you don't want it, hey, we got other people that do. You can just you know you go on down the road till you're ready, and because uh, trying to trying to teach somebody that doesn't want it is, I have about 46 years of practice doing this and trying to teach people that, that aren't there yet is a waste of time. But there are lots of folks that want it and that are ready. Our job is to find them and teach them. And uh, it's Jesus' job to get you ready and he can do his job. So we don't have to really worry about that part. Other praises. Who? Jerry. Did have a good day on Friday. Amen. Amen. Bob? I survived. You survived Friday? I, I'm here. I thank God that uh, he has blessed me beyond belief. What were you doing? Shopping at Walmart? <laughs> no, no, no moment. Okay. But uh, I thank God for, for his blessings. Just let me walk on this earth well I had to miss pickleball Friday but uh, I went hunting with my youngest son got to spend some quality time with him we didn't get a lot of birds but we got a few and we had a good time so that's how that went but it's definitely a praise who else praises Lisa I'm uh, really thankful for that professional help that I've gotten to finish our work project with our company work project. I thought Sherry was helping you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just teasing Sherry. Okay, you know, <laughs> my bosses used to say I did the work of two people. She does she does what I used to be able to do. Okay. 
she doesn't stop. She just keeps on going like a machine. Sherry the machine. There we go. Well, that's good. And I'll pray so that I get to help him do that. Amen. Amen. Okay, who else? Anybody? We're going to get in the book if you're, if you're done. All right, go to John 3. We're been, we've been working our way through this. There's so many, so much stuff in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is obviously the most well-known, probably the most famous chapter in the Bible. I, would, I can't imagine anything being more well-known than John chapter 3. You must be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because the world should condemn, the world should Yeah. I was skimming through YouTube, and I saw one of the preachers that's supposed to know his way around the Bible pretty good talk about how that John 3.16 is the most mistaught and misquoted scripture that he knew of. And what he was talking about was something that I've never really given much thought to. We'll talk about it a little bit. You know how in a bank, do you know how banks teach you to identify counterfeit money? How is that done? They show you the real thing so long that when you see one that's not real, you recognize it. Yeah, if it's well, that's the way John three sixteen has been for me. I've I've since the day I got saved understood what this was talking about. But there are a bunch of people. Matter of fact, I since saw some of them trying to defend this position. There are several groups out there. One, the Mormons, uh, for example, believe doctrinally they believe that this is talking about a universal salvation that Jesus came and died for the sins of the world and that they're now all paid for. That there's no necessity of accepting it or of placing a personal trust in him for it. They think that that is something that just automatically happens because you're a person and Jesus died for all people. And I realize that, that to us that sounds a little bit insane. I mean, how you know, where, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. What happens to all those other scriptures that tell you that you personally have to have a genuine salvation through Christ or you don't have one at all? And so it's just amazing to me how that somebody could read John 3.16 and come up with a an idea like that and actually believe it. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He is the judge. He's the one that's going to be sitting on the white throne. He's also the one who will be sitting on the uh, judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, the Bema meaning judgment seat in Greek. He is the judge. But he didn't come to condemn. He says here in verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. 
but he that believeth not is condemned already. Worldwide, there is a view of judgment that is skewed considerably from what the truth is. Most people believe that you live your life, do the best you can, and when you die, you're going to be judged and you find out if you made it or not. Do it at least better. Yeah. There are so many pseudo-Christian groups that believe this way, that teach this way. Lisa grew up a Methodist. She was taught her whole life that if she if her good outweighs her bad, then she'll make it. And if not, she won't. That is fo totally foreign to Scripture. The truth is right here. It's real. It's, it's so many truths are in this one chapter in the Bible. It's just phenomenal that they're all in there. Jerry. Pastor, if, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're wondering, or in other words, if you're going to have to Wait and see when you get there if you're going to have salvation. Well, that means you do not. That's pretty clear. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already. God has already passed the judgment of sin. There it is. For the wages of sin is death. Pretty clear. And he's already seen your sin. And the sentence has already been passed. That's what condemnation is. It means you're guilty, and the sentence has now been handed down. And the reason that you're still condemned, if you are, is because you have not yet believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. I remember being lost. And that's how it was. I didn't like hanging around the light. It makes you uncomfortable. It's like having that eye condition where you can't go out in the sun. And, uh, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light. And his that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. All right, starting with verse twenty-two, there is a brand new paragraph here, and from verse twenty-two to verse thirty-six is all about not Jesus teaching Nicodemus how to be saved, but it's all about the guy who came to prepare the way. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. This is uh, one of the scriptures that makes no sense whatsoever if you sprinkle people to baptize them. Why was John in this particular place? Because there was a lot of water. Because there was much water there. And they came, they 
meaning the citizens, people, and were baptized. Needed a lot of water to do that. So that's one of the qualifications for a real baptism. Who knows what the other two are? To be scripturally saved? First, you have to be saved. Jerry? Baptized by church with authority. Yeah, there's three, three requirements. One is salvation first. Two is baptism by immersion in water. It isn't baptism unless it's immersion because that's what the word means. Glenn? Um, if I've been baptized when I was a kid, does that mean I'm already... No, no, it does not. I just now realized that... I'm... Were you saved before you were baptized? No, not really. I've then, and you don't have a baptism. Okay. You're sitting in the Harley section, so you should be quite comfortable today. <laughs> Jerry, go ahead. Hey, Pastor, uh, yeah, no, I want to back up to say here. In verse 22, it says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judah, which did. Well, before that, Jesus was in prison, right? How did he get out? Well, well, he was in prison before that, and now they're going to Judea. Or did I miss something? Uh, not yet. The answer is verse 24, for John was not yet cast into prison. There's your answer. So, John the Baptist, uh, it, it says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into Judea. Uh, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Did Jesus baptize people? No, no he didn't. Well, wait a minute now. It says he did. But if you go on down to verse number, the Bible says that Jesus did not baptize but his disciples. Where is that? But here's the thing. It says here that Jesus baptized and then it says that Jesus didn't baptize but his disciples. So is that a contradiction in the Bible or, or is that something we just need to understand better? Daryl, what do you think? Do you have it in front of me there? It said they, uh, when he's referring to uh, them, Jesus and the disciples tarried there and baptized. Yeah. It doesn't say Jesus did it. It says they did it. Well, okay. Jesus was a part of the group. But... All right. To have a scriptural baptism, you must first be saved beforehand. Because if you're not, it's a big lie. You're not dead with Christ. And you're not, there's nothing about it that's the truth if you're not saved before you're baptized. Baptism doesn't save you, doesn't have anything to do with chapter it. Chapter 4, start with verse 1. Oh, it's chapter 4. That's, okay. Yeah, there it is. There. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized the more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. All right, the qualifications today for a baptism is, number one, you're saved first. Number two, it has to be done by immersion in water. And number three, it has to be done by a proper authority. What's the authority? Now, Glenn pointed at me. That's what most people think. They don't know better, like Glenn right now. But he's fixing to learn better. I don't have the authority to baptize people except what is given to me by the church. The authority is the church. So if you're scripturally baptized, you're baptized by the church, although it was 
somebody within the church that was appointed to do it that actually did the placing beneath the water. It's something you need to understand. I built the house we live in. Is that accurate? Yes. How many nails did I drive? Probably. I drove a couple. <laughs> not, not nearly enough to, 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 to the level of building the house with my own two hands. But that's, that's totally accurate to say if someone's a builder, they built the house. Although I instructed it, I found the subs, I did all the legwork and that sort of thing. But I didn't personally do the whole house. You're going to find that language through the scriptures, lots of places. Jesus baptized them, but it wasn't him that did it. It was under his instruction. It was by his authority. Matthew 28 is where the Bible gives us the Great Commission. It's at the end of the book of Matthew. Jesus has already been crucified. He's died. He's been buried. He rose again. And he's been with the church for 40 literal days, a month and 10 days after he rose from the dead, teaching the church to be able to do what, they're, what we're here to do, take the gospel all the way to the end of the world. And Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now, that's one kind of power. You look that word up, it's a Greek word. It's exousia. There's another power that Jesus gave the church, which is a different word. It's dunamis. It means the literal ability to do it, to get it done. This word doesn't mean ability. This word means authority. All power or authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. What's the connection between all authority is given to me and now go ye therefore? What's he doing with that authority? He's, he's placing that authority in his church. When Jesus was baptizing back here in John, but the disciples were the ones that actually did the physical baptizing. Did they do it with the proper authority from Jesus? Yes. Yeah, it's the same thing. So are you saying that Jesus never baptized anyone? That's what it says. Never. Mm -hmm. no one. I thought maybe those disciples, he just baptized them. And every, see, every member of the very first church Every one of them was baptized by John. John is the one who was sent to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. And he did that. And baptizing every member of the first church. Remember what happened when Judas betrayed the Lord. He was paid 30 pieces of silver. After he realized what he'd done, he, had, he took that silver back and he threw it down in the temple and then he went out and committed suicide. He hanged himself. He didn't hang himself like most hangings take place. He hung himself in a, in a unique way. Uh, it's kind of messy, but it's, a tr it's what he did. The Bible says that he hung himself and went headlong over the cliff. That's a messy way to do it. 
because when he hit the end of the rope, you know what happens if you go dive head first and you got a rope around your neck and hit the end of the rope. The Bible says that when they did, that his bowels cut out. And then people say, well, that's a contradiction in the Bible. They, they, he says he hanged himself and then it says his, he fell and his bowels cut out. It's not a contradiction at all. It's an absolute accurate description of what Judas did. It's a different kind of hanging. <laughs> well, it was, it was different. Uh, you can imagine like a bullwhip. You crack the bullwhip to yeah. break the speed of sound. Yeah. Same basic. Uh, if you've been taught by uh, your dad the old-fashioned way, to, when you go rabbit hunting and you shoot a rabbit, you stick him in the bag or whatever you're carrying. But if you're if you're a a wise hunter and you plan on eating that meat afterwards, you'd be a lot better off to get the guts out of there. And the way you do that is you take that rabbit and you put your hands around his chest and you compress it and you squeeze everything that's in him down to the back and then you sling him toward the ground through your legs and it all comes out. And you put him in the bag and he's already gutted and ready to go. I told you it wasn't pretty. <laughs> but that is, that is exactly what happened to Judas when he hit the end of that rope. Now, the point is, the, the point I said all that to make is that Judas had, by prophecy, had to be replaced. And after Jesus was resurrected, at the end of the 40 days, when Jesus, right after he ascended back into heaven, the first thing, the order of business, the church had to do was to replace Judas. And they took a vote on Judas. There were two men selected, and Matthias was the one that was chosen. But the qualifications were that both of those men had to be of the baptism of John. They had to have been baptized by John the Baptist to qualify for that office. So there he is again, being the one who prepares the way for the coming of Christ, which is, there's more to it than just that. He's preparing the way by preparing all of the material for the very first church. You've got to understand something. A New Testament church did not exist prior to Jesus. The, old, the synagogues of the Jews, that was it. There was, no, there was no such thing as a church. Jesus is the pastor of the very first ever church that has ever been, existed. And every church that's a real church descended from that church. And if they didn't descend from that church, if they, if they exist because some man went out and decided to he was going to form a church. They're just that. They don't have authority that Jesus placed in the first one. Jerry, go ahead. Uh, it, made, it brought something to mind when you described it that way. So, did a, uh, so all they had with the synagogues before, did, they invent the, did Jesus invent the word church, or where did the word church come from? The word church is a Greek word, ecclesia or ecclesia. It means called out assembly. So the word was already there. Church was already there. Yeah, but John is the one doing the preparation here, and that's what we're that's what we're reading about here in John chapter three. 
It says John was also baptizing in Enid near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast in prison, it says. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. They came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Now, do you, do you remember what, they, what he's talking about here? When was Jesus with John beyond Jordan? Do you remember that? Jesus walked 60 miles to the Jordan where John was baptizing. And why did he come? He came to be baptized. Did Jesus have any sin to wash away? No. Baptism doesn't wash away sin. Unless it's the one sin of refusing to submit to baptism after you're saved. That would be the only one that washes away. But uh, no, it's not about, baptism isn't about sin. Jesus had no sin. John said, wait, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, no, suffer it because it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John baptized him. What did John say when Jesus, when he saw him coming where he was? He, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. And then John uses this illustration to describe his relationship with Jesus. He said, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. John he says, I'm not the I'm not the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Who's the bride? The church. church. He knew what he was there to do. He knew about this all along. And he said, my joy is because I'm the friend of the bridegroom and I'm rejoicing in what's going on here. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Does that, does that verse mean anything to you? When you become a Christian, for most of you I'm saying when you became a Christian, one of the things that you had to f figure out pretty quick is that it's not about you. It's not about us at all. It's about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. The best Baptist preacher that's ever lived, this is what he had to say. Who said John was the best that ever lived? Jesus. Jesus said so. Uh, and he was. He, he was everything that we should all strive to be. Is this how most preachers today do it? No. It's not. You see it everywhere. More and more and more, it's about the preachers. I'm saved, and I'm not going to be at the white throne. I'm going to be at the judgment seat. And my judgment will be for reward, just like yours will be, if you're really saved. But I don't want to be, I do not want to stand before Jesus having made any of this about me. I mean none. 
we're pretty adamant around here about that subject. I'm a little bit over the top for most. <laughs> Last week I told you to teach your children to pray, not say prayers. And we don't teach the kids about Santa Claus. We teach them about Jesus Christ. It's his birth. And we don't teach kids about the Easter Bunny. We teach kids about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Glenn? Um, does that mean you, you, you can't still like celebrate Christmas, but you should celebrate his birthday instead or something? No, it means we're not going to give glory to Santa Claus. We're going to give it to Jesus only. Yeah, exactly. Santa Claus don't get anything. God said, he said, I am the Lord. I, I change not. I will not share my glory with another. That ain't happening here. And uh, me either. I've been pastor here for 21 years and my name has never been on the sign. It never will be. I do not want my name on the sign. This is not Charles Dill Ministries. This is about Jesus. You see that all over the highway on 45? Yeah, like plastered real big. It's not a problem. You'll, you'll figure out who the pastor is eventually. If you show up here more than once, you'll probably figure it out. You, you'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. But you need to walk out of here at the end of the service with one name above every name on your mind. And that's what Jesus did and why he did it and what this is about. Bob? Um, in, in answer or rebuttal to that, uh, if somebody thinks they're talking to the pastor. I'm sure we have enough people to say, no, I'm not the pastor, and they'll point to the pastor. Well, because I've done that a few times. They could claim to be the pastor and get away with it for a day or two. I don't really care. But <laughs> you figure I, I out. Want, I want to take that those questions. But again, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to wear that shame. The, I thought Justin was the pastor. Well, there you go. <laughs> He is a pastor. Yeah. There you go. There you go. But but that's you you understand the point. Isn't it isn't about what I'm doing or not doing or whatever. It's about the point is Jesus. The Bible says that in all things he should have the preeminence. That means he is the subject above every subject that everything that goes on here is about. This is his church. I know that Jesus is not the head of most churches out there. But he's the head of this church. And he's the head of a bunch of other churches like this church that came from a real church. You know, that's what John was all about. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. Why was John the big subject at first? He's six months older than Jesus. He's born six months before Jesus. And he is the man that God sent. He is the literal reincarnation of Elijah because he is the coming of Elijah that must be, the prophets said, must happen. But here, he explains it. He says, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Men are earthly. We're going back to the dirt and there's nothing, that's, that's just the way it's going to be. There's something that coming up here in verse 33 that I think is, a, is an amazing sentence. 
it says, he's talking about Jesus, the fact that he came from above. He said, well, I thought he came from Bethlehem. After he came from above to Bethlehem. Amen. Jesus is born of a virgin. He is the product of the Spirit of God. He is God himself. And he literally came from above. And it says in verse 32, And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. As you read your New Testament, and people came from everywhere, in Judea, Galilee, they came from everywhere to hear Jesus. Even Herod, even Pilate, you know, they wanted to hear what he had to say. But the one of the things that you're gonna that you're gonna see if you read all of these accounts of Jesus being preaching and speaking and teaching both the disciples and the multitudes is that as a general rule, everybody that heard Jesus, they either believed him or they didn't. I know a little bit about what that's like. Uh, I'm, I've got one of those personalities that kind of grates on some people, but it, you, either, you either like me or you don't. It will seem to be an in-between. And I'm okay with that. I, it's just what God gave me and I'm good with it. But uh, I much rather be liked than not liked, but you know I don't really have that choice. But that's the way it was with Jesus. I mean, they either loved him or they hated him, one or the other. And they, there wasn't, there wasn't. You don't see a bunch of people. Well, I think maybe he's this, or I don't, or that. They're not on the fence. They're either they're they're either in his court or they're not. That's where you are right now. Every one of you. You either love him or you don't. But verse 33 says something that's just cool. It says, and no man receives his testimony. It says, he's talking about the people there that for the groups in that group, they they didn't want to hear it. The Pharisees were one of those groups. Nicodemus was was an exception, but not at the beginning. When he came to Jesus in John chapter 3, he wasn't a believer yet. He knew that Jesus wasn't just an ordinary man because nobody nobody can heal the sick and raise the dead and do all the things that Jesus was doing and be an ordinary person. But those who did love him from the first, those who did hear him and recognize immediately that this is not an ordinary man, this is who he says he is, it says here, of them, it says, He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. What's that mean? Does that have to do anything with being saved? <clears throat> is it like a seal that can't be broken? No, it's an illustration. Is it the seal that a, like a king would use and seal and Yeah, if, if, if somebody sent you a document that was in authority, and it was a written document. It would be written and then it would be sealed. That seal means that it, I'm certifying that this is from whoever it is. It's his seal. Certification. It's the certification. The Bible says here that he has received his testimony, has basically certified that God is true. 
do you accept what you read from Jesus here in the Bible as God being true? It is. This is it. You're not going to find out what you need to know about Jesus from any other source in this world except a real Bible. The Word of God. 66 books. All of them are about Jesus. Every one of them. Who was it that said, let there be light? God, but was it the Father, the Son, or was it the Spirit? Who said, let there be light? It was Jesus. Says so. Flatly says so in your New Testament. Three, four different places. That's right. That was Jesus. Who was it that who was it that slew the animals and clothed Adam and Eve? It was him. Every book, every book's about Jesus. All the way through to Revelation. And it's the only source. You need to set to your seal. You need to certify for yourself that this is true. It says verse 34 for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. All of the prophets of God wrote what they wrote from what source? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Let me read it to you. Second Peter. It says here, this is how this is how the Bible came. It says, "For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit." All the prophets of God were given of the Spirit by measure. John wrote what he wrote that God gave him to write. Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, all were given to John to send and pass on to us. That's how it came. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all given the Spirit by measure. Not Jesus. The Father, it tells us, sent Jesus to speak for him, and God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto Jesus. What did John say about Jesus at the end of the Gospel of John? You want, to, you want to read something that is just so amazing. It's just, look what John said. This is John 21 and verse 25. Last verse in the Gospel of John. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Amen. 